And for our purposes of prayer this morning, I invite you to open your Bible this morning once again to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 this morning. As again, we, we, use, we could spend time in prayer this morning. We don't open God's Word. We just kind of open it up and everybody pray. And I mean, that is a valid way to pray. Why do we open God's Word up each Sunday morning to drive our prayers? Somebody tell me, what's the purpose of us Maybe different from the way we pray in our personal lives where we just kind of spontaneously pray. Why, why do we come to God's word first before we pray? What are we trying to accomplish this morning? Absolutely. Brings us back to God, to his word. And while we're praying, it, it sets our affections of our hearts upon who he is, what he's done, what his word tells us. Absolutely, putting God first. Anyone else? Why, why, why do we... Open God's word before we begin prayer. That's the right answer. Yeah, so we stay focused. Absolutely. It's easy in, in prayer, and, and maybe I'm the only one who battles this. These, sometimes we begin time of prayer, and you start a routine prayer. Kind of Everybody has their own kind of prayer formula, right? Your prayers usually probably start out the same way. At least mine do. I use the same words. I have the same... Things I pray for in the same order. Not that that's wrong, but it can begin to kind of drift away until I'm losing focus and I'm just, I'm reaching, I'm stretching, you know. And, and certainly coming to God's word gives us a focus. One more, is there anything else we could say about while we come together around God's word for prayer? Yeah. I mean, sometimes we ourselves, we tend to pray very self-centeredly. Um, Jesus himself said, Lord, your will be done. But a lot of times when we pray, it's my will be done, right? We, we request things that we just don't know what God's will is. Uh, but by praying God's own word back to him, uh, we're using his prayer language. We're using his words. We're, we're forming and framing things according to his, who he is and how he has spoken. And one more thing we would add to this is it unites our hearts. All of those things we've said are absolutely true. And to these we would add, it unites our hearts together. We come in this morning. Uh, some of us are cold physically, but also uh, probably spiritually. Uh, we come in this morning, if left to ourselves, we would pray all kinds of different things. If we went around the room and opened it up for prayer, our prayers would go all in different places. We would all pray together the way we do individually. But that's not what corporate prayer is. We come together not so that we pray like we do at home and we just do it here in front of people. Everything you just said, now we bring all of our hearts and minds and we let God himself bring our hearts to him and unite our hearts around him so that our prayers, they're never going to sound the same, nor should they, but there is a common focus. We're letting God speak and inform us and it's bringing us back to him and we're praying his own word back to him. Absolutely. Corporate prayer all the way back in the book of Acts was a time of unifying the church. Participating in pr corporate prayer is a part of uniting the church. We're not afraid of silence in the prayer meeting. We understand it happens. But the goal is we fill the time with as many voices as possible. Not with two or three voices praying for five minutes each, but with 14 voices praying for just a few moments, a few sentences. Not that it's wrong to pray long. Don't want to hinder you today. 
But this is a means of grace. Together we seek the Lord. And John 1.14 is a passage since last Sunday or since last week. I've continued to come back to just in my mind. John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This was the preaching text last Lord's Day. And I want to reread a quote that I read last, last Lord's Day. The quote was this. John 1.14 is one of the most significant and memorable statements ever penned. Its implications are limitless. It, verse 14, has provided the church over the centuries with a key to understanding the mystery of Jesus Christ. And that's one of those quotes, if you're paying attention, it's like, well, I have woefully, <laughs> inadequately understood John 1.14. There's much more here than I've ever given attention to. The Word, who is Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And I think it's worth our time this morning to come back to this verse in our time of prayer. Because this verse reveals to us, one of the applications of last week's sermon was, if Christ has taken on flesh and come to us, the tabernacle was the place people went to meet with God. Now we don't meet with God at a place. Right? The focus is not on location. The focus is not on a building. The focus is not on setup. We meet with God where? In a person. That can happen anywhere, in any situation. You meet with God in a person, Jesus Christ, who has tabernacled among us. He has done everything necessary to allow us to come to God. And as we look at verse 14 together this morning in prayer, the commentator said there are limitless implications of this. What is a broad implication of the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? What does that say about us? If the Word became flesh and came to dwell among us, what does that say about us? That we were important? I can buy into that. Important in this regard. What else? We were needy. We were important in that God had a love for us. There's the importance that can never be explained. A love for us when we were unlovable. And in order to do everything that was necessary to save us, he had to send his son in the flesh. We were needy. And that's, that, our neediness is not only from that first moment of conversion, but throughout the Christian life. We continue to be needy. And one of the symptoms of our unawareness of our neediness is a lack of prayer, right? Prayerlessness is a symptom of pride, right? If I, if I'm, if I don't feel my neediness, then I'm not going to pray, right? But when I'm needy, when something has happened and I'm desperate, then all of a sudden I become a prayer warrior, right? Until that situation dies down. Here in John 1.14, Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. Because we were a needy people. And as we gather here this morning, we're still a needy people. 
We're here this morning, not because we're righteous, not because we're holy, not because we're good. We are those things in Jesus Christ. But in a practical sense, we're still needy, very needy. And Christ tabernacles among us presently through his spirit because we're needy. So this morning in our time of prayer, this is not a time of, here I am, God. I'm so, you're lucky to have me. I'm, I'm doing my, it is my neediness. Various things scripture tells us about Christ. The one who came and dwelt among us in the flesh. Scripture elsewhere calls him our shepherd. Why do sheep need a shepherd? Because they're helpless. They're not fast. They walk on four legs, so I guess they have arms in that regard. But they don't have arms. They're defenseless. They're ignorant about the dangers around them. And Scripture time and time calls us sheep. And the fact is, this morning, not in any way. I mean, I'm chief sheep among us. But we're sheep. And we're in need. And we're here this morning because we have a shepherd who tabernacles among us. We're foolish if we don't run to him in prayer. Scripture calls Christ not only our shepherd, our husband. Our husband, the one who has loved us when we were unlovable. The one who has wed himself to us when we didn't want him. It's kind of like an unarranged marriage if you think about it. He's the faithful husband. We are the unfaithful bride. And we're here this morning. The one who is tabernacled among us, our husband, says, even though you this week have betrayed me, I'm still here. I'm the good I'm, I'm your husband. Run to me. Confess. I'm not going anywhere. Be reconciled to me through my blood. Through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus is called our high priest. Why do we need a priest? Somebody to atone for our sins before God, before him? Christ has done that. Christ is called the king. Why do we need a king? Someone to rule over us. To give us a perspective that what we see with our own two eyes. And man, I'm taking longer than this than I intended. With our own two eyes, we're limited by what we can see. Christ's kingship who came and tabernacled among us says, things are not as you see them. You see what you see on the news or what you see through your eyes at your circumstances. This is where the book of Revelation is so helpful and so practical. Remember, the, look at what is. Your king is on his throne. He's sovereign. He's ruling over every nation, over every other ruler, over your life. What you perceive, do you perceive it in light of his kingship? Christ has taken on flesh and dwelt among you that you might see him and see all of life through him. But we're a needy people. We don't do that. This morning, this morning we come together as needy people. Because some of us this morning, we've been battling that. And I need my king. Some of you, I need my faithful husband because I've been unfaithful to him. I need my shepherd because I've been a foolish sheep this week. I need Christ who's dwelt among us in the flesh, tabernacled. He's willing. He's able. He's done everything necessary for us. We run to him together.
This is not a time for one or two of us to run to him. We run to him. 